Well, we are in the second part of our series, uh, I Am Community. And uh, if this morning you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the carts around the room. Uh, if you don't have one, I'm sure if you raised your hand, some super spiritual, servant, humble, holy person will. How's that for manipulating? We'll get up and give you one, right? If you're looking for that this morning, you can get it. Uh, raise your hand, though, if you need one. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to dive in there this morning. Um, Man, I just want to say a note about uh, the music. And we love our music team, right? Our music team does a great job. They do a great job. Uh, it's, It's been fun to watch Sylvia grow up at our church and to do that. So how many of you knew Sylvia, like, as a high school student? Or a kid, yeah, it's like, yeah, um, thanks, Kimmer, you knew her. That's her mother. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure you knew her for a long time. Uh, it's just so great to see the church um, where that happens, where she now leads us. Um, that's, that's great. I, I want to dive in this morning, and so I have a lot. I, I got to do this a little bit at chapel last night, so some of you guys were at chapel. This is the extended version of that. Do not fall asleep. I'm just joking. Okay. Uh, let me just give you a couple thoughts about uh, a trade. If you were to, to uh, as a high school student, you wanted to be uh, a certain uh, occupation in your life, let me just give you a few. If you wanted to be a lawyer, first you have to graduate from high school. You then, uh, you need to go get your undergrad degree. You need to go to a college somewhere and get a four-year degree. Then you need to apply to law school and then you need to pass a bar exam. You need probably then to be brought into a firm and kind of pay your dues for so many years and eventually become a partner. And then you are a lawyer, and you can be a lawyer. You've done the work. In order to be a doctor, you must obviously go to high school and finish that and complete that, but get a bachelor's degree, an undergrad degree of some sort, You then need to pass the MCAT, which then uh, hopefully gets you into med school, and you need to graduate from that for four years. Complete a residency program ranging from three to five years. Pass the USMLE. I have no idea what that means, but I'm glad doctors are taking tests. (laughs) Complete a fellowship. Pass a state license test, and then you're in. Then you're in. You, You can be a doctor. To be a fire, fighter pilot, you must have a bachelor's degree of some sort at a four-year school. Then you need to join either the U.S. Marines or uh, the Air Force. That then you enlist into what's called Officer Training Program or OCS, some sort of schooling for officers. You need to pass that. Then you have to go to qualifier school. You've got to pass that. Then you have to pass physical examinations and tests that your body can actually handle the flights. Then you sign up for an eight to 10 year commitment. You then need to graduate from a six weeks introductory course to flight school, which then enlists you into the 22 weeks that you need to pass of actual flight school. Then you get an assignment and then you're in. You could be a fighter pilot. You, you need to then operate as you are now a fighter pilot. Pretty much every occupation that you find in life, 
that you rest in is there's some sort of qualification, something you need to do before you can be. What's so beautiful this morning is we had a chance to enter into a chance to, to talk about Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. If I were to ask you this morning, what do you have to do to be a Christian this morning, we might have a range of answers. The scripture is clear, though, in order to be a Christ follower, you don't have to pass an MCAT. You don't have to go to four-year university. You don't even have to finish high school. In fact, you could fail most of your life. You could fail your whole life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus says, come, as you are, you get to enter in. The thing that differentiates our faith above all other faith religions and practices anywhere that's ever been invented and will be is that Jesus offers a no qualification necessary to get in. Friends, that's something that we sing about, that we, we worship about, that we, we gather around this reality that our faith is free to us, but it costs God everything. It costs God his son. But I want, I want to dive in here now. That's what it means to be in. We accept that gift and we get in. But then what happens? Because now if you are a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, could it be that you, are, you get to be in and be called a Christian and then just sit in rooms like this all over the world and then leave and not look any different and not be any different? It's as ridiculous as someone studying all their life to be a fighter pilot and never being one. Why is it in the Christian world today, that we almost gave ourselves permission to say that we're Christians, but not be one. This morning, we're going to see in the, in the book of Acts, this radical transformation that goes on. This, this click, if you will, that happens right in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and we get to see what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to qualify some statements. One. I'm not angry at anybody. I haven't, I, some of you will say, I know he was talking to me, or they'll, they'll rib their husband, see, he's talking to you. No, I don't have any of you in mind. It's, it's something I'm seeing across our culture that for some reason, there, there is a tension in my soul as we gather like this, and it's as if we gave people permission to be in the body of Christ, but not act a part of the body of Christ. Nowhere in our Bibles is that, is that that way. I almost lost it right there. <laughs> now, some of you know, as you're watching these videos, I had a great opportunity to go with Dave Becker and, and Chuck, uh, Dan, and a couple others to uh, Quetico, the, the, right above the Boundary Waters. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, hey, any of you want to sign up for 74 miles of paddling, four miles of portages, you could be up to your waist in muck, leeches, bad bugs, um, there's not a lot of food. In fact, the food is repetitive pretty much. You're eating the same things over and over, right, Dave? It's not really about food. You're going to have soreness from sleeping on the ground. You're going to sleep with probably three other men who snore and do other things that you're just, it's not real pleasant, right? <laughs> How many of you are in? Just, just for a show of hands. Yeah, there are a few of you. I'm in. Give it to me. 
I had my reservations, but I, I have to say, as we got all the way up to uh, the Boundary Waters, and we were at the Outfitters, and then this is actually the canoe we were in, um, one of them, the other one we rented, but this is Dave's canoe, and so we, we were at the dock, and there was that moment at which the packs were packed, and I only had a little water bag of stuff, but then there was that moment, that moment where I had to get in, and it was stepping in. And there was that moment where you sat down and, and it, there was not really a question as we pushed off the dock. All of a sudden, there st- stared at me this paddle. There wasn't like, hey, what's my job description, Dave? What can I enjoy on this trip? What birds will I watch? As, as I surrendered to the role of really listening to the one that's guiding, I had a job, and it was to paddle. It was to paddle a lot. Uh, and I remember Dave saying to me, he said, Troy, there's a few ways to paddle, you know, arm paddles, you know, that might be good for short distance and bursts, but you'll get tired quick. Back paddle, you'll be in the hospital soon, don't do that. You know, it's, and he's showing me how to do that. But then there are moments where I might sit up like this and, and all of a sudden there'd be, are you okay? Why? Why is it that we feel that it's okay to receive the free gift that God's offered us and to sit? Nowhere in our Bibles does it allow for people to sit in their faith. Now, this morning, I'm not shaming or I'm saying a shoulda, coulda, woulda, or you're bad people. What I want to make to the difference this morning is that when Christ followers in the early church all the way till now when they step in and are in with Christ, when they receive that free gift that God offers and they enter in, the Holy Spirit invades their lives. We know that. And when that happens, they are compelled to paddle. They are drawn to paddle. I'm going to show you that here in a moment. And that's really reflecting on last week. We said you have to remember your past, but when you're in, you begin to paddle. Now, again, to be in means that in Ephesians, it says it's for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. A different way to say this is when we can't paddle hard enough outside the canoe. If I were standing on the dock, you know, out there in the outfitters and, and trying to paddle, paddling doesn't get me in. It says here that for by grace I've been saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. There are a lot of people today trying to earn their way in, into this boat, into into God's favor. Nowhere in the Bible does it allow for this. This is what differentiates our faith of being Christian. Being Christian means you have received a gift that you did nothing for. We were all failures. I love what Joe said last week. A church that embraces the broken. We we worship a God that embraces the broken. This morning, we enter in in our brokenness. And this passage says it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. Not a gift of uh, it is a gift of God, not by works. So I can't boast. 
Isn't that what happens in hyper-religious cultures? We begin to create a culture that says, well, I'm a little bit better than you, and we start to measure ourselves in spirituality. And friends, this is where it gets dangerous in church culture. This is where I believe the evil one and, and the flesh start to get into a church culture, is we start to look around and measure. I'm a little bit better than that one. Man, I need to aspire to be like that one. The scripture says that we are not in a pecking order, in a spiritual race against one another. That we enter in and we're in, just like those occupations. We didn't, it didn't cost us anything, it cost him everything. And when we enter in, we get to sit down and there's this compelling sense of gratitude and the spirit that envelops our lives. And so this morning, I'm going to tell you what it means to paddle. I want you to hear what it means to paddle, that what it looks like when you're in and been an adopted son or daughter of the family of God, that you're in what it looks like to paddle. Now, you're going to feel some guilt. It's not for me. I'm not trying to tell you this morning that you're less than or you, I'm better than you. I want you to see in the Bible how it shows clearly when people got in, they got to paddling. Just as crazy as the few times I took, a few times, several times I took breaks from paddling, right? There was an expectation. There was, and, and I'll tell you, I gladly did it. I was enjoying so much of what was going on around me. There was a sense of hungry to see the next part of the adventure and wanting to get there. Now, truth be told, towards the end, it was like, good Lord, get me home I need to sleep in a normal bed away from these two guys, you know, so. But you get the point. I want to share with you this morning what it means to paddle. Just to be clear, to be in means that you begin to paddle. You can't separate the two. A different way to look at this is that people all throughout the world will walk into buildings like this and begin to worship God and say that they're Christians but never do anything. There's nowhere we get permission to do this. When you are a part of the family of God, you are a part of the body of Christ, and there is clear description of what happens when you're in the body of Christ. And the other way we look at this, though, I want to make sure we're clear. Paddling doesn't get you in. What gets you in, we just reviewed, is what? You are broken, you recognize your brokenness, you accept the free gift, and then you get in. No qualifications needed. That's why at the door it should say, no perfect people allowed. If you're perfect, you're excused. You're, you're broken, you get in. But once you're in, you begin to paddle. A great theologian of uh, long ago, Soren Kierkegaard, says it this way, the Bible is very easy for us to understand. I mean, you think about your Bibles, and some of you have difficult times. I think we sometimes overdo the idea of you have to know all these Greek or Hebrew words, and you have to insight. Jesus says, live this way. There's not a mystery. He says, but we, Christians, speaking of myself, he's telling us to, are a bunch of scheming swindlers. Not really nice. Because we pretend to be unable to, uh, unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we begin to understand, we're obliged 
or obligated to act accordingly. I think often this kind of message or preaching pushes the buttons for people and, oh, I'm just, I'm a growing Christian. I'm, I'm on my search right now. I don't, I'm not ready for that yet. What you're saying to me this morning, biblically, that you're not in. Now again, hopefully you're not taking this abrasive. What I want to push you this morning, if you're not in, that's great. Not great, but we, we invite you in and want to call you to this great gift that God calls you to be in. And then you can be Christian. What I'm not trying to tell you this morning is act Christian so that you can be in. But what I am saying is if you are saying that you are in, then you might want to evaluate your paddling. Never did I get, you know, did I sit in this boat and stand up. Hey, why are you in charge, Dave? You know, how about me? How come, how come we can't run it or go where I want to go? No, there is a surrender when you're in with Christ. There is a recognition that you are following the way of the one. And that's why we say your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. We sing these songs over and over every week, and they're affirmations to my surrendering my life to one that will guide me. So let's dive into Acts chapter 2, and I want to give you a little bit of cultural context before we, we get into this response of paddling. The early church is not really born yet. It's beginning, the, fo the foundation has been formed, and that is in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all these Gospels written about Jesus' life, his birth, his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And in the book of Acts, Luke writes it, it's chapter 1, where Jesus is now appearing to the 120. goes from about 12 to about 120 followers. Now, cultural context, we're seeing Horrific stuff happening to people in, in Iraq. I mean, the, the atrocity and the evil that we feel. I, I don't want to lightly tread on using that as an illustration, but I want to give you a little bit of what I've seen, the videos that we've just recently seen. Imagine if you're a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Three years you've watched him heal people. Feed the hungry, the poor. Love people. And you watched, like what we've just watched on, on these videos, the most horrific, cruel type of punishment you could get in that time. Crucifixion. Beat to a pulp. Horrible. I can't imagine the emotional trauma for a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine those three days? Those three days of, I could be next. Next. There's a couple trips that I have a possibility of taking to northern Africa. I have to admit, not super energized to do that. Rightly so. Imagine the disciples, these followers, these 120. But now Jesus starts to appear. And there's this, wow, he did raise from the dead. It is true. And then he ascends to heaven and it shows that they walk, a Sabbath day walk, they go to an upper room and they begin to pray. They begin to pray, and there is this infusion of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have to go so one greater than I can come. Now, they might have sat under teaching before, 
when Jesus was around. They, they, they fellowshiped together. They, broke, they did some things together and had meals. But not with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit infuses and changes everything. This morning, being in means surrendering to Jesus Christ and having a filling of that Spirit that happens simultaneously when you step in and it compels you to paddle. This is where we land. Because Peter has just now been filled with the Spirit and he preaches like none other. Only what? Days and days ago does he deny the Savior three times. And now he preaches with authority. And I so wish I could get the formula because 3,000 after his message come to Jesus. 3,000. 3,000 people come to Christ. Boom. Could you imagine that? When I was, uh, I went to the, one of the first promise keepers ever and it was in the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis. And I remember, never forget, Bill Hybels teaching and did an altar call and 5,000 men walked forward. It was overwhelming. 3,000 come to Christ, and they're, they're celebrating, and now we get Acts chapter 2, and this is how they paddled. This is how they paddled. There wasn't classes, there wasn't certification courses, there wasn't MCATs to take about what it means to be a Christian. This is how they responded. I want to share that with you this morning. I want to break it into two categories, two categories for you to see on how they paddled and what that looked like. First, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, see that? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people in the Lord, added to their number daily, those who are being saved. The first category of what this paddling looked like for those who were in and began to paddle and pick this up was first they gathered. They gathered. Now I want you to think for a moment because this is the first thing typically off people's lists as Christians. Should we go this weekend? Should we get into a group? Should we join that class or Bible study? Almost always, it's the last part of a schedule fill. We're so scheduled today, right? We love our schedules. We work. We play. And the gathering comes last. Often when I talk to people about their spiritual journey, and they'll come and say, I feel empty. One of my questions is, where's your gathering? Our daughters used to be had their full schedules with sports and all that stuff. And I remember Trisha and I would say, okay, if it's not, and they had to miss Sunday morning. And, and to their surprise, we would say to them, all right, if it's not Sunday morning, where's your gathering? Where's your community? Where's the, that small circle, medium-sized circle, or big circle where you're in with other people who are in? Where is it? Friends, your faith is, is a personal faith, but it's to be lived out in public, not private. And part of that gets broken down in four ways we see in this text. First, they gathered around teaching. Where are you gathering around teaching? The early disciples, this early following, and now 3,000 
are hungry. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know what this means? Have a passion to know more about this Jesus. They have a passion to dig more. Even though it's hard and the more we dig into our Bibles, we dig and we find, oh, another thing I need to surrender and throw out of the boat. And that's hard and some of you, we get so accustomed to things that we like and appreciate and find pleasurable to ourselves, but God's going to call you. The Spirit's going to start to put a finger on things in your life and go, throw it out. I think some don't want to subject themselves to that space. Or maybe they think they have enough. The Bible also talks about some still are drinking milk. The picture is, is being breastfed, and it's, the, the picture is you're still drinking milk. You might have been a Christian for a lot of years. When did you switch to begin to, to eat solid food and begin to grow and be nurtured? These early followers of Jesus found every opportunity. It says they gathered every day. Am I telling you to gather every day? I'm not. I'm not pushing for some new thing we're going to do. But when we talk about what it looked like to paddle and paddle hard, man, they wanted to put themselves in places where they were going to be hearing teaching. Friends, that doesn't have to be here. It could be a Bible study group. It could be a group of three to four that you meet for breakfast or coffee, for lunch, for an evening, a small group. It's why we do all those things. But those are circles, and usually those are the first off of people's lists. It's where weekends become an option. I love the fact that we do live feed. I really do. But there's something missing when it's not together in the gathering. Many of you have mentioned that to me. I love watching it, but it doesn't replace being in the gathering. There is something very holy, mysterious, and divine about when the body of Christ gathers together for teaching. It's what we get this chance to do and paddle together. The second area is fellowship. Now, fellowship, I grew up uh, in a church in California, and we had a, a special room in the basement of the church called the Fellowship Hall. Did anybody have that in your church? Is there, I think all churches called them the Fellowship Hall. Why? It's where we did fellowship, and it's where we did a potluck. So we always did potlucks and fellowship. Now, not to discredit that, because I think there's some great principles there, but fellowship is this Greek word koinonia, and the word denotes not necessarily receiving, it actually denotes a giving. A different way to look at this is koinonia means that we give. We gather together for mutual giving. For a mutual and understood that we are going to pour in to one another. What's so sad today is the American church, we've gotten so used to consumerism that we treat church like, you know what? You guys aren't providing enough for me. Pastor just doesn't dress well. Pastor doesn't teach that well. I'm going to find another place. The staff doesn't serve me. The music's not my style. And so what we find ourselves is a lot of Christian culture today wraps itself around what's the church going to do for me? You see, when the early church was in and paddling, it was never that question. It was what can I give to this new community, to this group of people? The beauty, 
Lois was telling me as, as she was talking this morning about the message, she said, you know what's great? She says, every time I come to give, I get. She says, it's in the giving. It's in the koinonia that I start to receive back. Isn't that beautiful? So much of what we're taught is we're consumers, and we need to be treated with respect because we have money, and we can shop somewhere else, right? Friends, the church was never designed to be this way. It was they gathered for koinonia. I remember, Dan and Laurel, when we gathered and the fellowship of giving was you being vulnerable about your cancer. That's koinonia. That's a koinonia of you giving of yourselves and being vulnerable. And in that moment, you got back, not coming to get something, but just giving. You see, the giving doesn't have to be like a dish. But you give. And just the principle of potluck's interesting, right? Because you give one dish and you get like 600 dishes, right? This is awesome. But it's supposed to be that way with koinonia. And they were continually devoted to knowing Jesus. They were continually committed to giving because of Jesus. Here's another reason why they gathered. That paddling, they started to break bread. Very simply, we, we call this communion today but, uh, because Jesus had the Last Supper. Jesus actually had dinner with people. Meals become a large part of spiritual culture in the church because they would share the Lord's Supper, and at the end of that, they would take communion. They continually remember Jesus' sacrifice. I remember, Trisha and I used to do this and need to do it more. And I think even in our small group, we should probably do this more, but we took communion. There'd be times we had people over for dinner, and we would, at the end of it, take communion. You, you want to shock the group a little bit because, hey, the reason we're friends, the reason we got connected through koinonia was because of this one. Let's remember the blood and body of Christ as we gather. They were doing this often. The last part is they were praying together. So for them to be in paddling meant they were, they were every time they could, they wanted to sit under teaching. They wanted to experience that koinonia. They wanted to break bread, but they wanted to pray together. I think one of the saddest things I see happen Today, with Christians, there's a room full of people or a circle, and the question comes out, who would like to pray? And then it's, you know, there's actually a Bible verse in Scripture that says, if you're afraid to talk about me on earth to others, then I might be embarrassed or I may not just introduce you to the Father. Now, I don't even know fully what that fully means because I get the idea that, that God loves us and he's not kicking us out of the boat. But I wonder sometimes when we say we gather for prayer, you know what typically the excuse I hear is, well, I don't pray good. Well, friends, I'm sorry. If you can talk and communicate, like, you can pray good. That it leaves me for another probably option of why people don't. I think we get too consumed about what people think. The early church was so compelled by the Spirit and so in love with this Jesus that just changed their life. They weren't asking questions. It didn't matter who was to the left or right. It didn't matter what was going on. They said, we're going to paddle and we're going to pray hard. We are going to pray. We are going to pray and I'm going to pray out loud, I'm going to pray in private, I'm going to pray in the closet, I'm going to pray, pray, 
pray, it doesn't matter. Uh, not to single her out, but I love um, having Pamela Sanchez and our, and our staff. And I, I want you just to hear, and I want you to apply, but I just want you to hear this. She was a volunteer. And I remember the first couple times I asked her to pray, and I could see fear and, and trepidation on her face. Oh, Lord, what is he doing to me? And I can't tell you how I love hearing her pray. You know why? She's not worried about the words anymore. She's just praying from her heart. That's not to single her out, but I think some of us need to recognize that when you are compelled by a God that loves you enough to not have you pass an MCAT to get in, you're compelled to talk to him. The early church gathered around this. First off the list, usually, I see, for lives that are empty, lives that are not feeling, feeling that, that fulfillment in their journey. And again, this morning, I want you to know, this is not me convicting you. This is what they did. This is what it meant to be Christian. They prayed. They put themselves under teaching. As hard as that teaching would have been to say, stop doing this, the Bible's full of stuff. Some of it I don't like. What I mean by that is some of this stuff of like, oh, really? I have to, I have to not love that? That sin's kind of fun sometimes, you know? The, the Bible's full of those. But when I place myself under that teaching and then I lock arms, that koinonia, I, could, I start to change my mindset of giving to the body. Boy, I start receiving, and I start to break that bread, and I'm humbled by the sacrifice. That is gathering. And they did it every day. Sometimes our staff, we get, we get all hung up about, we can't ask them to do too much. We don't want to overschedule them. Now, I agree. Uh, that's not for us to do for you. They met every day. Now, you might say, well, Troy, that's the Bible. Come on. All they could do was what? Wash their tunics and stare at the shore. They didn't have water skiing, wakeboarding, right? They didn't have internet. They didn't have all the stuff we have today. No different. No different. If you want to change your family, do not forsake the gathering. If you want your heart to change, do not forsake the gathering. And in that gathering, you need to embrace these things. This is what paddling looked like. The second part is this. They devoted themselves. Look at the couple of these key words. They had everything um, in common. They, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. The other principle here is that they gave. They not only gathered, but they gave. There was a sacrificial sense to paddling for them. And I touched on that a little bit, but let me give you three areas. First, they gave time. I just mentioned it. Time is our precious resource, isn't it? Most of us in our schedules are too full, too full with so much of life. They said, this is priority. Some of you have asked, and you know, I wait for the shoe to drop with our kids, and maybe some of them, I'm sure some of them will make mistakes, but sometimes I wonder, will, some, will one walk away from the Lord? I pray not. But I, I, I reflect back and I think, what are the things we did right? Because I know Trisha did a lot of things wrong, but <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're awake. Trisha was awake on that one. No, we, we both did things wrong, 
but what do we do right? I, I have to say, there was not an option not to gather. That our time was precious to gathering. And that we knew whether we were a part of a church or not, whether it was vacation or not, that somehow being a part of a gathering was critical. You need to make in your families, in your life, and I will say it to this service, our gathering's important. Be here every week. It's the most important part of your being Christian is gathering. It's why there's groups. You need to be in a group. Because just like being a fighter pilot means getting into the plane and flying it, being Christian means gathering and giving up your time and being a part of it. The second area is this, is talents. Again, this is not me. This is your Bible. Read. You've got to just look at it and you see all throughout this is what they were giving. They were giving of themselves. And some of you have gifts we're going to talk about next week in this room that you need to put into play. You need to give to the body. And we're missing out on some of the amazing wiring and workmanship that God has created you uniquely to do. Don't just buy the lie that the evil one does is someone else will do it. Can I remind you, not like you? Someone else maybe will do it, but not like you. You are you, and God's created you specifically and unique to giving to the body of Christ this way. The third way they paddled and they gave is they gave of their treasures. And we often talk about it, it's called offering, and this is, again, Sylvia did a great job. It's not about the money, but God said that that will be a pull for us Money, sex, and power will be the pull for us in our life. And, and for some, it's, it's, it's constantly removing that from the throne of our lives. And he says one way to do it is giving, is, is remembering who gave it to you and not worshiping it. A practice of giving. They gave. And what was so beautiful is they gave to meet needs in the body of Christ. I love this year in our budget we're going to go to 10% of giving away that the go-to area starts to give. But can I tell you a secret desire of mine that might shock the pants off some of you? I would love one day that our church is giving 50% of what we have away. Could you imagine meeting the needs in our city? Could you imagine somehow figuring out a way to manage this facility in this place that 50% of what we give away... See, it's not about that. It's the expression of the body, the community, paddling hard to give to meet the needs of others. You know what it says in there in that text? And no one had need. That's amazing. Not only do you have to gather, but you give. And so this morning, my call to you is this. Paddle. If you're in, if you're Christian, Paddle, gather and give, gather and give as hard as you possibly can. Not because that earns you favor with God, because it's what being Christian is. But that leaves us with another question this morning. Maybe you're not in. And this is not a clique or a club, and that's the beauty of our faith, that there is no clique or club. You're all invited. No matter what your journey no matter how miserably flawed or failure you might seem to think you are, he says, all you need to do is accept me. The, the, the scripture is clear. It says in Romans, the voice, I love this 
this paraphrased version. And Sylvia's going to come up, and we're going to kind of do a response time to this. But it says it this way. So if you believe deep in your heart that God raised Jesus from the pit of death, and you voice your allegiance by confessing the truth that Jesus is Lord, a different way to say this, you surrender. You, you get in, and you, you recognize someone else is going to drive your life. They're going to dictate where you go. God, I need you, and I know this experience of joy, of happiness, of peace is only possible if I surrender all else and I get in. It says, confessing the truth is Jesus Lord, then you will be saved. Belief begins in the heart. And it leads to a life that's right with God. Confession departs from our lips and brings eternal salvation. And when you're in you're going to feel a compelling sense to paddle. And that's where you gather and give. Are you in this morning? Maybe you're experiencing emptiness. Maybe you're that person that's on the dock and you're practicing religion. It means you're paddling hard, but you think that's going to earn you entrance in, and it doesn't. This morning, the Father says, come as you are. Just come. As broken, as flawed. You may not have your spiritual life or journey, or even the answers figured out, but he's saying, I want you in. And if you're in this morning, he's saying, paddle. Be Christian. I want you to bow for a moment, and I, I want for those of you who have never surrendered your hearts to Jesus, all I want you to do this morning is it's a prayer. It's a prayer that Paul says in Romans, and that means you claim your brokenness. When you, when you claim that brokenness, your next words out of your mouth is, Lord, I claim my sin, and I need forgiveness. I accept this free gift of being in, a part of your family, a son and daughter of yours. Scripture says you just got to believe that in your heart, that you, you claim that, that he takes the throne of your life. And you could even imagine yourself stepping in the boat and saying, God, I'm ready. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do a second thing because if you've, if you've prayed that prayer and if that's you this morning, I, as a pastor, am called like Peter to ask people to stand and proclaim that truth. I, I'm called to just say, if that's you this morning and you're stepping in the boat, I want to pray over you as a pastor. It's part of my heartbeat of what I want to do. It's I want to see people get in without having to do all the prequal, It doesn't matter, they're in, no matter how broken. If that's you this morning, and you are stepping in for the first time, would you stand up? I wanna pray over you this morning. I wanna do a pastoral prayer over you this morning. You stand, it's for you, first time getting in. I know that's hard, but don't worry about people around you. And it's for you to stand. elders and staff, I just want you to get out of your seat, elders and staff, and get around these people, because as a church, we should be, we celebrate these moments. Think about what's happening here, friends. Some of you have not done this. People are standing and saying, I surrender to you. It's a 
powerful moment for people in their journey. It's one we shouldn't just gloss over and up oh, more, more in the list. It's people that are entering in with us. And they join in the teaching and they join in the koinonia and the breaking of bread and the prayer and they begin to give and gather and give and gather and they paddle with us. Amen. Let's pray over these new friends and part of our family. Father in heaven, what a great God you are. That your love never fails, even though we do, that you never give up. And Father, I thank you for receiving these that are, are choosing to surrender their lives to you this morning. Father, might they paddle hard. Might the Spirit invade their lives and they grip that paddle and gather and give like no other and be Christian. And so, Father, we pray this over them. And I pray for all who are sitting and claiming to be Christian, claiming to have stepped in. God, might your Spirit convict any of us that are not paddling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate that as they, as they sit down. And... Now, friends, as paddlers, we then go to the table every week and remember why we do it. And so as I said last week, the Bible doesn't allow for us to do that alone. It doesn't call us to do it alone. It's always in community. And when we do it in community, we lock those koinia arms. Can I, can I give you a responsibility? Don't let someone take communion alone. You may not know them, but they're family. If someone this morning walks up to the table, they're family. You might grab their hand. Lois told me a story when she took communion once when her husband wasn't here, and a woman came to her and says, oh no, friend, we don't take communion alone. The Bible doesn't allow for us to do that. She grabbed her hands, and Lois asked her, how long have you been here? She says, it's my first time, but I'm a paddler. Do not take it alone. So will you pray with me as we remember what Jesus did for us. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to be in and paddle for the kingdom. God, might we reflect on the great sacrifice of love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.